What's up, folks? It's me, it's me, it's Mr. Sensational Gino V coming to you with a very special episode 72 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And uh, as always, I'm coming to you in weird, on a weird schedule, weird time constraints going on as I attempt to record this episode. I, I guess I just have a weird schedule all the time for any number of reasons. But um, this week, um, Miss Two, Miss Sensational Two, my 13-year-old daughter, her middle school has decided for whatever arbitrary reason to have early release all week long. And um, I thought the time that they were getting out was 1.15. And so I'd set up um, this recording session with enough time to get it all done before 1.15. But I looked again, and that's actually 105. And you might say, Gino V, what difference does 10 minutes make? But when you are taxiing children around town, 10 minutes is a lifetime. Um, so I'm going to do this for a while, and then I'm going to have to slap the old pause button and then come back and finish. But it's all good. It will all get done. Um, apologies if you listened to last week. I generally don't listen to these episodes back because I am filled with revulsion, disgust, and self-loathing um, at the prospect that um, I've sat here running off the mouth for 30 minutes each week. It's not really something I like to go back and revisit. Um, if you enjoy listening to it, more power to you. But uh, I, I just I don't really want to go back and listen to myself. Though I'll occasionally just kind of like skim through a little bit to make sure everything came out okay. And I didn't do that until it was too late last time. And I noticed there was a little bit of static on the line, which is a problem that I have with this microphone from time to time for some reason. And I haven't been able to pinpoint exactly why. So I believe there's a little bit of static. Hopefully it wasn't totally unlistenable. Hopefully it's not happening this time. I'm going to endeavor to check a little more closely, but that is that. Um, we are, once again, the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. If you're a newcomer, it is a show embracing um, the nothingness, the meaninglessness of average, ordinary, uh, middling American life, I guess. Um, I'm a 45-year-old fellow living in California, um, and I talk about stuff that happened in the past, stuff that has just happened in the recent Recent past, I guess you'd say the present, although it already happened, so it's all the past. I don't know. We're, we're a retro show. What am I going to say? I can't, can't escape that label. Um, but yeah, we tell tales of nothingness um, for your amusement. Uh, I think uh, as, as IC Robots, our station boss here at the network, once um, described it, uh, the show is essentially... Um, Punk rock Garrison Keillor, if you remember Garrison Keillor. I believe Garrison Keillor was quote-unquote canceled for creeping on the ladies. We don't do that here, but we're talking more his style of um, storytelling, although it's some burnout punk rocker guy from the 90s doing that sort of meandering storytelling versus an old Midwestern guy, something like that, although I'm old now too. I wasn't old when he first made that uh, comparison, although I wasn't young, but I wasn't as old as I am now. You know, whatever. Um, we're going to move right along today. Um, some weeks I'll go, I'll talk about what else is going on on the network. And there's of course, always all kinds of stuff going on on the network. So just go over to your podcast platform, search IC robots radio, hit like, hit subscribe. You'll be privy to all that content. Go over to support and you can become a patron and get access to all patrons only content. And there's all kinds of amazing stuff going on right now. We'll probably talk about it more Next week, because sometimes I use that material as a jumping off point for doing my own riffing. But I got a story I want to tell this week, and if I spend too long 
wandering around here at the outset, we will never get to it, which is what's happened the last few weeks. Um, so this is going to be the second ever Jobs I've Had edition of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. We're going to get into volume two of Jobs I Had right here on very special episode 72. And now for those of you who have been part of the tens of ones for some time, you may recall many moons ago, probably more like many months ago, we did a Jobs I've Had edition, the first, the inaugural edition, in which I talked about my job at Willy Bird Turkey Restaurant in Santa Rosa, California, the first job that I ever had. So I left Willy Bird, was unemployed for a bit, and then began my stint working as an usher at the movie theater United Artists Cinemas 6, also in Santa Rosa, California. Um, Very epic job, place where I actually met Icy Robots for the first time. And we are going to be skipping over that job because as I think I've mentioned before, this, this is, that, that, that's such an epic story. That's such a weighty tale. It, it requires multiple angles, viewpoints, participants. It probably requires some group show of people that worked at the theater. I, I just I don't want to take it on by myself. It, it feels like it needs to happen at some special time in some special way, which means it'll probably never happen. But, you know, it's one of those things you got to keep that, that chamber loaded. They can't, um, not ready to play that card yet. So looking back, I can't actually remember how long I worked at the theater. It probably was not very long at all. Um, at most, maybe a year. But that might even be pushing it. It's one of those things, like it, it felt like I was there for an eternity. It felt like it was this, this just monumental part of my life. But part of that was because I was so young at the time. And I was, God, I had to have been like 19, 20 you, know, you, haven't, you haven't been around for that many years, so each year at that point is still something statistically significant. It's still new new experiences flooding you, new information coming in, new sensations, uh, ideas. Everything is still fresh. You know, you haven't uh, haven't sort of settled into the more um, long form waves of life that come after you have a few more decades under your belt. Um, but somewhere along the line, working in the movie theater. I was living in my parents' house when I worked at the movie theater. I was going to be moving out of my parents' house. And the thing about the movie theater is it paid minimum wage, which at the time was four twenty-five an hour. And it also was not um, full-time employment. I probably worked like, I don't know, 20 hours a week maybe. So looking on the horizon and moving out of my parents' house, it became clear that the movie theater was not going to pay the bills once I had um, rent that I had to account for. Um, I really didn't have anything I had to account for when I worked at the movie theater, which was basically just spending money. But I was going to be moving into a house with rent, with utility bills, and so on and so forth. And so it became clear to me that I needed a new job. And also I was just getting kind of tired of, of... having to put up with some of the abuse of the owner and management there. Not that it was like extreme abuse, but it's like you're getting paid minimum wage and they're acting like, you know, you're working at some, you know, corporate office job that has all this responsibility. And, you know, at a certain point when you're not getting, you get what you pay for. You know, you're paying someone minimum wage, you're going to get minimum effort. You know, what do you want from me? I'm, I'm working at the theater for four twenty five an hour. It's not going to be, you're not going to be getting top flight, uh, Top flight uh, work, I guess. Top flight craftsmanship. <laughs> but um, so I started kind of scanning the airwaves 
And by scanning the airwaves, I think I mean looking at the classifieds in the local paper for places that were hiring. And I saw an ad for a bookstore that was not open yet in a shopping center that was still kind of under construction in a part of Santa Rosa um, called Santa Rosa Avenue. Uh, And Santa Rosa Avenue is one of these kind of big, wide, thoroughfare streets that you find in a lot of burgs. Um, Starts out kind of in county land and then eventually moves into the city limits and eventually takes you into downtown. And Santa Rosa Avenue is littered on either side with used car lots, um, kind of trashy motels, little uh, strip malls with like liquor stores. Um, what else they got on Santa Rosa Avenue? Santa Rosa Avenue, I was a kid in Santa Rosa. The, the big uh, stereotype of Santa Rosa Avenue is that's where um, you'd find, um, uh, how do we put this delicately on a family-friendly show? Um, folks of the night. <laughs> you will, we'll leave it at that. But uh, um, at one point, I guess this would have been like mid-late 90s, Santa Rosa Avenue is an area that, that theoretically could be ripe for redevelopment, could be turned into something more than it is. Santa Rosa as a city um, has struggled with that kind of thing over the years. Um, just as an armchair observer, both on the city government side of Santa Rosa and on the city business leadership side of Santa Rosa, there is a lack of very cogent or visionary leadership, and so nothing ever really... Happens like that. Large sweeping improvements of areas. Um, and of course, everyone's uh, definition of what an improvement means may vary. But uh, regardless of what your particular flavor or stripe is, Santa Rosa Avenue could certainly be more than it actually is. But at one point, a new shopping center was built on Santa Rosa Avenue. It's a Costco shopping center. It's this monstrosity. Huge, just a vast parking lot. Um, ringed by big box uh, tenant spaces. Um, so you've got Costco over there. Um, you've got, I don't know if it's specifically there, but you know some Office Depot type store is probably there. Some of these have changed over time, but you've, you've got your office supply store. Best Buy is over there. These, these types of uh, stores, Target. Um, but it was never it wasn't a particularly friendly or attractive shopping center in its day and it has aged to be even less so but um in any case i found this ad in the classifieds and it was like do you like reading do you want to work at a bookstore and help open it super crown books is opening in the santa rosa marketplace and that's the this aforementioned uh, shopping center and i saw it and i went wow Here's my chance. Now, here, a little factoid about Mr. Sensational Gito Vega. Excuse me. Um, I have, and I don't mean this to, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to present this as like a woe is me. It's just a, it's a fact of the, the, the trajectory that my life has taken, and I've come to accept it and be fine with it. But I am not someone that has much experience with, um, how do you, how, how would you even describe this? You know, like with, um, getting accepted into things that they want to do or landing like a dream job or I don't, it doesn't have to be a dream job, but getting paid to do what they enjoy doing or good at doing. Um, so for instance, when I was a kid, I would, I loved going to comic book stores and I would, uh, 
see other people manage to get a job at a comic book store, and I would apply at them, and they'd be like, sorry, kid, can't help you at this time. Try again next year. You know, stuff like that. So I'd always end up working at these places. Like the movie theater, I just ended up working at because I applied there. And in retrospect, it was kind of cool, but at the time, I wasn't like a big movie guy or anything, so it was just a place to work. Um, yeah, the... Um, Record store at the time I was enamored with, but they uh, only had you know so many openings and they were all full. Um, so I never worked at a place like that. I never worked at a store that like reflected what I was interested in or that I had any passion about. I guess I should say, um, and that's continued through my life. I've never I've never figured out a way to marry my passions with um, with work or with anything um, uh, tangible like that can help you exist socially in the world through monetary remuneration or what have you. Anyway, um, so here in this classified, I thought I'd finally found my way in. A bookstore. I was a bookish individual back then. I liked reading books. Uh, I was, was I going to college? I think I had started going to college and I was an English major and I fancied myself someday being some, you know, academic scholar or writer or something. So bookstores, books, of course, this is it. This is perfect. Perfect day job. But of course... There was a catch. As I mentioned, this bookstore was over in the Santa Rosa Marketplace. Not exactly a literary hotbed. Not exactly the um, uh, literati part of town, Santa Rosa Avenue. (laughs) So I applied for the job, and I don't even remember really applying for it. I remember reading the ad, I remember having the job. I don't remember the process of getting hired, but I I must have applied, and I got the job. And the whole gimmick was the store was not open yet. So those of us who were being hired to work at the store were first being hired to basically put the store together. Um, The store was this empty, big box room with a bunch of shelves, and... um, Pallets and pallets and pallets of boxes were delivered by a company called Roadway, and they were full of books, and the books all needed to be shelved. So for the first like month, I'd say, of working at Crown, it was setting up the store. It was shelving everything, um, putting all the books on shelves. And um, so it wouldn't become 100% clear. Also, I was like a young, naive perspective. I didn't understand the way the world works. I didn't understand how things were what they were. It wasn't until the store opened entirely that I really discovered how unliterary this literary path truly was. But we'll get there in a moment. First, I will start introducing some of the folks that were in that original crew of those of us who set up the store prior to it opening. Among that original cast, there was myself. There was um, an elderly retired school teacher named Ken. There was a fellow named Peter who was a geology student at the local Sonoma State University. He came to be known, by myself at least, as the geologist. Peter, the geologist. Um, Who else was in that original cast? Um, There was a guy like in his 50s at the time named Chris. Chris had been a radio personality down in Southern California, or not necessarily personality, but he worked in like radio and stuff, and then had, for whatever reason, left that career and was going back to school to become a school teacher. And so he was substitute teaching while getting his credential and then working at Super Crown Bookstores to um, supplement his uh, income. There was Wade. 
Wade was a fellow from Idaho who had somehow found his way out to California. Wade worked for the IRS, and uh, Wade took a job at Crown Books being what it was called the receiver. He basically sat in the back office and um, did the paperwork attendant with new books being delivered and then essentially receiving shipments and, and doing the bookkeeping for all of that. Um, and he was doing this because of his accounting background. He had this whole crazy scheme where he was working his full-time IRS job, but then also working at Crown because if he made enough money by X year and saved this and that and the third, he, he somehow he was going to able to reti- be able to retire freakishly early. Uh, have this whole financial plan mapped out. Way above my, my pay grade. Cannot understand this at all, but that he, he was convinced this was the thing. Um... Who else of note in that original cast? The store manager was a woman named Connie, and she was kind of this, like, professory-looking lady. So, again, give me some hope that this might be a literary outfit after all. Um, she was the store manager. The assistant manager was a woman named Linda, and Linda will, like, factor in quite um, a bit into these stories moving forward. But Linda was kind of like a hard-scrabble, working-class woman who smoked unfiltered camel cigarettes. Linda, the assistant store manager. Not to be confused with Linda, there was Lynn. Um, Lynn was a lady, kind of old hippie looking lady with like parted in the middle, long gray hair pulled back into a ponytail. Um, well, I thought I, I, I stereotyped and I took her as hippie ish um, when I met her because she had that long, that kind of part of the middle, long gray hair. And then she had a husband that had long hair, ponytail. But it was, it turned out. I'd stereotyped them incorrectly. They were more, um, they were kind of a precursor of mutants. They were like rednecky people. Um, but we'll talk more about that um, moving forward. <sighs> Who else of note in this initial cast? Oh, there was Tong. Tong was a Chinese woman, literally from China, had come to the States and married some hardcore Rush Limbaugh ditto head, and they lived in the tract homes behind where Crown Books was. And um, Tong found out that I was of partial Chinese extraction, so she sort of took me under her wing, as it were, Tong. Um, That's a good start. There were other people here and there. There was one uh, very bizarre couple, um, these older people. The guy was named Jim. I cannot remember the wife's name, but I think, actually, I don't even know if they were married, but they were a couple, and they both worked at the store. And... um, uh, a point um, to note here, there was another Crown Books in Novato, California, which is about 40 minutes away from Santa Rosa. And some of these people had transferred from the Novato store. So they kind of already kind of had kind of a history together. So like Jim and the girlfriend or wife, they were from the Novato store. They had history. They had history with Connie, the store manager, because she was also from the Novato store. But he was this weird kind of um, grandpa Munster looking guy. And he would always be sort of uh, bossing around and berating the woman, and she would be sort of running to and fro doing his bidding. It was very very odd, very off-putting. Um, but they didn't last very long. I think he got disgruntled and quit, and then they both quit. The, the, the uh, very odd thing about this story, too, as I tell it, um, and the whole reason I... The thing that inspired me to, to revisit this particular job was I was talking a while back about Dave, the manager from the theater, who is no longer with us, and... It was from the pre-internet days, so it's very hard to get a clear record of this individual. A lot of these individuals, this was my last job, my last big interaction with the world 
pre-internet. So most of these people, whether living or dead, are lost to the sands of time for me uh, because I don't know enough personally identifying things about them other than first names and that they worked at Crown in 1998 or whatever, seven, six. Yeah, I I don't even remember the year. Um, But a lot of these people, there's no way they're still in the mix just due to time and age, which is kind of crazy to think about. But anyway, this raggedy Motley crew started um, working together unpacking the store and um, putting a lot of paperback pop fiction novels up on the wall. Um, there was, you know, still lulling me into thinking this was an actual bookstore of the, of the type that I was envisioning. There was like contemporary fiction section and like a classic section, even like a philosophy and religion section. So I had fun shelving all of those areas of interest of mine. Um, science fiction section, kind of fun to delve into that. So, um, we spent our time putting the store together, and during this time, I got really sick with the flu. It's one of two times in my life where I managed to develop serious cases of the flu that lasted for extremely long periods of time. This was time number one of that. And when I first got sick, I was so sick that I was just, I was out. I was out of it. And I was living at my mom's house at the time, and she actually ended up having to call crown books to inform them I wouldn't be able to come in that day. And then I remember eventually I got well enough to go back in, but I was still not well. It was one of these flus where I kept thinking I I had to be well at this point. I had to be okay. And so like I'd go back to work um, and then uh, I'd go walk over to the Target to try to get some French fries for lunch or something and just looking at them made me feel like I was going to throw up. So I was still sick. And then like I... The movie Casino came out at that time, and I went to go see Casino with some friends of mine, and I remember just like feeling like I was going to throw up the entire time, just bad stuff. But anyway, th- that initial day or however many days that I wasn't able to go into work that my mom uh, had to call in for me just be- I, because I physically was not able. I, it would either be been my mom calling to let them know or no one letting them know. When I returned, the Connie woman was very irate and told me, you are never to have your mother call in for you when you're sick. And I had to tell her, look, lady, if you wanted to know at all, that's the only way you're going to know because I was sick. And she was like, oh, I think she, I think she actually bought it. Because I think a lot of times in retail, there's this, you know, people are calling sick right and left and they're not really sick, but I was on death's door. But I weathered the storm. Um, and sure enough, our little sad crew opened that Super Crown Books. And I call it Super Crown Books because... This phase during the 90s when all these dopey big box chains decided to have different iterations of stores, different models of stores. So the really steroided out ones that you would find in a, in a wasteland shopping center like the Santa Rosa Marketplace had to have some uh, uh, bigger, better appellation. So like <clears throat> the Target in that shopping center wasn't just a Target. It was a Target, great land, because it was, it was just great. It was so great. And so heartlandy. It was Target Great Land. So very similarly, our Crown Bookstore was so large and so cavernous that it wasn't just a Crown Books. It was a Super Crown Books. But uh, the thing, the, the math that I should have put together, what I should have realized is a bookstore in a shopping center that has a Costco, a Best Buy, a Target Great Land, and so on and so forth. This isn't like um, Egghead, Egghead McBrainy coming over here to buy the latest translation of the Iliad. These are, you know, 
essentially mutants just out on a shopping rampage. And, I mean, mutants read too, right, I guess? Um, So this all started to become crystal clear once the store finally opened. And once the store finally opened, we were beset upon by a throng of um, a lot of guys looking like, um, was he called Mr. Anderson and Beavis and Butthead, that neighbor? Oh, 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 guy. Um, Him, Hank Hill. I mean, I guess those are from the same creator and kind of a different iteration of the same character. But a lot of these Hank Hilly type dudes coming into the store. A lot of um, women that we would now call Karens coming into the store. All these very dour-looking, angry people coming into the store. And the store seemed to do most of its business trafficking in um, books that were on the New York Times bestseller list because um, Crown's gimmick is that heavily discounted New York Times bestsellers. And those books, at least back then, I haven't consulted the NYT bestseller list lately, but back then tended to largely be like self-help books, you know, your men are from Mars, women are from Venus type nonsense or like, uh, you know, seven habits of highly successful people, all that kind of, all that kind of, uh, hucksterism that was very popular. So you had, you had Hank Hill and Karen coming in to buy those books. Um, you had, um, we would sell these books called remainders, which were like, I think books that couldn't be sold at other outlets that had kicked around for too long. So they ended up at crown at heavily, heavily discounted prices, they were stacked out on on these tables out in front, and so you, Hank Hill would buy like World War II books, and uh, Karen would buy you know maybe some Martha Stewart entertaining compendium, um, this type of thing. Um, very awkwardly, we sold magazines and we sold adult magazines, <laughs> and the adult magazines were like festooned with like different sensors and alarms on them that would set off the alarm if someone tried to steal one. Um, so when Hank Hill would bring his stack of adult magazines up to the table for checkout, we had to like put it over this weird sensor reader and like stomp on this floor button and time it just right to deactivate the thing. And it was very hard to do. And I remember on the opening day we were mobbed and some Hank Hill was trying to buy all these adult magazines from this mom that worked there. And I can't remember the lady's name. She's part of that original crew, but she's desperately trying to like, disarm the uh, the the uh, the sensors on the stack of club magazines that Hank Hill is buying and Hank Hill is getting irate and like can't you do it any faster Arr! and um I guess that doesn't really sound like Hank Hill but this guy you know it's just some some middling guy arr, hey, arr, faster arr! um and it very quickly realized oh my god I'm in hell and it was hell it was a, a retail hell and I feel like there's two things that every individual could benefit from greatly in life. I mean, there's all kinds of things people can benefit greatly. But just in my own experience, two things that, that I feel benefited me in life, but, but in a way that I think could universally apply to others. I think everyone would be um, benefited from attending one semester of community college taking sort of um, humanities, like thinking about thinking classes. To, to have, and I'm not saying get a college degree, I'm not saying to take it all the way to the end, just, just one class where you have to, you're, you're responsible for presenting some sort of take and uh, 
reasoning it through with critical thinking and backing it up with uh, with uh, facts and with um, uh, what's that word? Learned college graduate over here. Backing up with uh, citations, source sightings, and just to, to go through that experience at least once. Because I think there's a lot of people that don't experience that. And um, other parts of, of college are fine, math sciences, that's great. But just that fun, I, one thing that I feel is, is, is just very much lacking in American culture, American society, is the idea to um, write, to express oneself in writing, to do sort of persuasive arguing, but not like demagoguery, but actually like um, presenting things factually, presenting things um, in a reasoned way that you can support um, I feel like we're missing that. So I feel like one semester of doing that would do everyone a lot of good because I feel like having to do that really changed my life for the better. Uh, shout out RIP Santa Rosa JC instructor Robert Kelly, the guy that taught me how to write and taught me how to how, how to think about writing in a way that I had not experienced beforehand and I've, I've gotten quite a bit of use out of since. Anyway, shout out to Robert Kelly. So that's one thing. The other thing that I think would greatly benefit everyone it would, would be to spend one holiday season working retail. If one has not ever done that before, just just one holiday season is all I ask, because you will realize how depraved um, groups of people can become, how belligerent, how angry over nothing. And hopefully that will help temper you when you are out in the world. But in any case, um, I, I remember recently reading with all the mutinism in the world and all the, the so-called divisiveness and anger, blah, 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 grievance, that we're somehow in a, in a more uncivil time than we've ever been. But I will tell you, as someone that worked retail in the 90s, this this has been seething beneath the surface for decades, if not forever. Um, just the idea of people going into a retail establishment and just acting monstrous, both to people that work there, to to other customers. Um, it's It's very... Very strange, very sad environment. I experienced it a little bit at the theater, but the theater is a different animal because generally people are happy to be at the theater. People want to be at the theater. You get the occasional belligerent dude who shows up 10 minutes late for his uh, movie. And it's like, come on, pal, where's my popcorn? It's like, dude, you could have gotten here on time and we wouldn't be having this problem. You had a little bit of that, but that wasn't that was the exception, not necessarily the rule. Um, at Crown Books, every customer to almost was just like foaming at the mouth belligerent. It was wild. Um, and the funny thing too, is these folks, um, particularly like the Mr. Anderson, Hank Hill variety, they are living in this bizarro world where they think that low wage retail workers are like tradespeople. you know, like it, this is like a profession. They don't realize that they're people getting, they're like people getting paid nothing with no resources, no training, just thrown out there to push buttons on a cash register. So I remember I had this one guy once just like losing his mind because I couldn't recommend a specific book about golf. And he's like, oh, your product knowledge is really lacking. Uh, in my shop, I'd have everyone known their product. You don't get to know that product knowledge. It's like, bro, look at how many books are for sale here. And I'm getting paid $5 an hour. Um, I'm not, there, there, there's, there's no product knowledge here. There's no expertise happening. This is unskilled, low-wage work Bring your stuff to the counter. Go on your way. Had another guy once, and this is a proof positive that mutantism is nothing new because this was in, again, mid to late 90s. Um, the great Patrick Buchanan, if you remember him, um, he was kind of at the forefront of shaping sort of what we now recognize as like the modern-day right-wing demagoguery. Um, 
kind of Trumpy stuff before, long before Trump. You know, he was up in arms about immigrants and and just kind of pushing pushing the envelope on on the fringe version of of uh, republicanism. But he'd written some book, and he was like a popular figure in his little circle. But he was not like national mainstream popular. So we had his books, but they were just kind of like on a shelf somewhere. They weren't on some major end cap. Uh, and uh, I had this guy come in and just ream me for being like, you know, part of a left wing conspiracy because I wasn't properly displaying the Patrick Buchanan book and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, bro, there's a full blown. We've got like a cutout of Rush Limbaugh over here, like a life size cutout of Rush Limbaugh with all of his books. You know why? Because he's nationally mainstream. Get your boy to get over a little bit more. And we'll, we'll get his cardboard cut out too. This isn't about ideology. This is about what books are selling. But there's no reasoning with this pe- these people. This guy was, uh, wanted to talk to a manager and so on and so forth. And I, I don't know. Wild times. It really caused me to feel very negatively about humankind working crown. I, I did not have like some really overarching... I, I had negative experiences in high school and junior high school, but I, it, it, that was so confined to kids at school. This was sort of a, a frightening awakening to how savage the adult world is and just how mindless and belligerent. Um, but I guess it was an important awakening. Um, a few final um, points on the general belligerent environment and atmosphere. Among the crown customers, um, one of my favorites of all time was people could special order books, and then we would uh, call them when they came in, and we'd have them behind the, the cash register area waiting for them. And um, this guy came in one day, just like beat red, and he's like, I have a special order book. I, I was called and told it was here. I was like, um, okay, uh, in your name, and he gave me his name, and I go to look for the book, and he's like, don't laugh, don't you dare laugh, and I'm like, all right, and I uh, look, and I find his book, and the book is, is like living with IBS, or managing IBS, or something like that. And IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. And this is a real disease, and it is nothing to laugh about. And I know it causes people great uh, anguish. It's, it's no fun. And I, wouldn't, I would not have thought twice. I probably wouldn't have even notice what the book was. But because of our angry friends, Don't laugh! Don't you dare laugh! I'm sitting there, like, having <laughs> freaking... Like, uh, just not double over in hysterics. And I'm just, like, trembling. And here you go, sir. And running his card. Um, that one was fun. Um, another, this one was like kind of on the lighter side. So not everyone was, a, some people were trying. Some people were trying to, to pull themselves out of the primordial ooze. There was a book that became popular, might have even been on the bestseller list, um, while I was working at Crown. And it was called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it was some um, self-help book about not letting little things in life um, send you into a hissy fit. And it was ironic that people kept coming into Crown to buy it because the, the, the customer atmosphere at the Santa Rosa Marketplace was literally all about sweating the small stuff. It was all about having apoplectic fits, about having to wait for five minutes, 
um, about having to not be able to park directly in front of the front door of the specific store you're going to. All kinds of small stuff was being sweated over all day, every day. But this fellow came in and um, he wanted to buy Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and we were actually sold out. And so he had the same belligerent look of many of the Hank Hills and Mr. Anderson's that came into shop at Crown Books. But he had this, sort of this like, <laughs> he had sort of this forcible like Joker smile on his face. He's like, hello, I'm looking for don't sweat the small stuff. And he's just like trembling with rage, but with this big sm- smile on his face. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, we're sold out. And I could see like the smile like starting to fall and he's like almost putting his hands up to like force it back up. He's like, that's, that's okay. And like, it just, he, this guy was trying so hard not to sweat the small stuff and just barely making it. So proud of that guy to this day. I still hope he's out there. He's very likely no longer with us, actually, now that I think about the, the years, the, the amount of years that have passed in the age that I think he appeared to be at the time. But hopefully he kept sweating the small stuff under check all the way into the hereafter. Um, last note that was always fun was um, I worked at Crown for a few years, so more than one holiday season, and the holiday seasons there were a nightmare. You took the bad environment that existed on a normal day when only a handful of Joe Blows and Jane Doe's are out shopping, and then you inject it with 10 rounds of steroids and truck in like 40,000 more people, and that was the holiday season there. Just a mob of angry, frustrated, unhappy people screaming and yelling and clawing and pushing and shoving. Um, But me and the aforementioned geologist, um, who was still working there at the time, uh, we noticed, we had like a, um, there was like a soundtrack, music that would be playing in the background um, the whole time while the store was open. And during the holidays, holiday music would be playing. And it was the same, you know, it was, it was the same loop of songs over and over again. So the same ones would eventually replay. And it was so funny because no matter whether things were fairly chill at the time or whether they were angry and belligerent, wherever they were on the spectrum, when this one song would come on during the holiday season... All of a sudden, people would just stop what they were doing and start kind of just like running around in a frenzy. And it was that song. It's this one that it's like, it's like some instrumental, you know, orchestral music song. And it's the one that's doing, um, people just like start just like it was like a switch had been uh gone off and like marionette strings were being pulled and the the mutants are just like moshing and like running around a circle and then that song finally ends and everyone kind of goes back to what they were doing before it was it was amazing it was phenomenal one of, one, of, one of, to this day, one of my favorite sociological phenomena I have ever witnessed. Um, even if working those holiday seasons was um, hell on earth. I eventually got myself out of the um, cash register aspect of Crown Books. And got way more involved in the internal drama of the store itself. And we're going to talk about that next time. I knew this would be a multi-part show. 
because it's kind of a sprawling topic and there was no way I was going to cover it in one. We've gone much longer than I care to go for any single episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. So we will be back next week and we will talk more Crown. We will talk about how I scammed my way into getting a position there that didn't really exist, that involved not dealing with customers and not having to dress up. Oh, I had to wear a tie every day to that job when I was working with customers. That was amazing. Only time in my life I've ever worn a tie. I will never, never wear a tie again. But for a few years stretch there, I was a daily tie wearer. I don't even remember how to tie one now. Um, But yeah, we'll be back next week with more. Um, Thanks for bearing with me so far. Uh, Until then, it's me, it's me. It's Mr. Sensational Gino V signing off.